Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready to get your teeth pulled? Are you ready to do it, Cliff? Mr. Cliff Burton, alright.
welcome to Tegu Files. Um, we're going to be doing a little uh, roundtable discussion. I have my, uh, my Josh Lizard Guide RTs on the line right now. So, hey, Josh, what's going on there, man? Uh, not much, Judy. Just um, I'm checking through the animals, going doing my rounds. Usually in the morning from uh, from about 8, 8, 8.30 to about 10, 10.30, I check on all the animals and make sure everyone's all set. And then I basically start doing my chores for the day with like you know general husbandry stuff. So if you ha- if you hear anything in the background, that's uh that's me doing stuff like that. So I apologize in advance. But yeah, just taking care of the animals like usual. How about you? Um, I'm sitting here. You know, I I kind of schedule the show on kind of, uh, pretty quick. So we're gonna have people coming and going. So but we were gonna talk about uh, tegus and this time of year. You know, Burmation is the big thing with them. Uh, I know you have a lot of experience with that, Josh. Uh, if you want to share a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, sure, of course. Um, I mean, brumation is, you know, extremely important for, for many species that come from um, from cooler climates, you know, subtropical. Even some subtropical species like tegus, for example, they do brumate because they'll come from ranges where it does get quite cool in the wintertime where it could get, you know, 40s, 50s. Um, some species that brumate actually um, come from, spe- from uh, climates where they actually see frost, like Shinosaurus, for example. It's actually quite common for them to see frost in their range. Um, but where tegus come from doesn't get quite that cold. Um, but you also that's pretty that's pretty broad, and it's not it's not really exact. When you think about Colombian tegus coming from Colombia, they they do not see a you know a cold winter whatsoever because it's closer to the equator. But then when you talk about certain Argentine uh, locales, they're definitely going to brumate. Um, you know, things like that. So I do brumate most of my tegus, not all of them. And uh, I can explain that a bit more. So basically, my black and white tegus and my red tegus get brumated. Um, naturally, they come from a region that's a bit further from the equator than, you know, a, a Colombian or a, a blue tegu. And basically, in their range, since it does get cooler, they slow down for a few months out of the year. And physiologically, they've adapted this way over millions and millions of years. Um, so that's what you know I emulate in, in captivity. And not only is it good for breeding, in my opinion, it's good for just the normal physiology to keep a ni- nice, healthy, long-lived animal. It's uh, it's good to brumate them if they're meant to brumate. At least in the case of tegus, in my experience. Um, so my black and white and red tegus, I brumate them. Um, I used to brumate them indoors, and now I brumate them outdoors. Uh, well, that's not entirely true because initially I lived in Florida. My black and white tegus were held outside. I lived in central Florida for most of that time. And for a portion, I lived in Tampa and um, I brumated them outdoors. So basically in the winters there, it would usually get overnight like forties and fifties. We have occasional nights where we'll get close to freezing temperatures and those extremely occasional nights would actually get below freezing, even in central Florida. Um, Those nights, obviously I would make different considerations. I would bring certain animals in or I'll give them more coverage in their actual enclosures. But for the most part, the vast majority of the time when I lived in Florida, I was able to brumate them outdoors uh, with very little modifications necessary besides having like your typical hide and giving them hay to make their nest for brumation, things like that. And then eventually I moved um, to New England and I was the head of operations for NERI for many, many years. And I'm still very good friends with the owner. We speak on a regular basis. And anyway, when I moved up north, I started brumating them indoors. The first couple years were a little rough because, you know, I didn't have the, the science, you know, quote-unquote, of uh, brumating them, you know, down-packed uh, initially. 
And then I spoke to Renska over in the Netherlands, who has bred Tegus indoors for many, many years. She gave me some tips, which I followed, which I'm going to go over uh, briefly. And that worked really well for me. And I had many years of breeding Tegus that worked out very well. Um, so basically, when I bred them indoors, what I would do is I would have a tote. So I'll, let me start from the beginning, actually. So when you're going to brumate an animal, you need to make sure that their system is cleared, meaning that they don't have any food in their system that will rot in their stomach while they're brumating. And then in addition to that, you want to gradually transition them to the brumation. Because if you think about it, outdoors this would naturally happen. You have the warmer seasons in the summer, gets a bit cooler in the fall, and then obviously in the winter gets even cooler than that. And in addition to temperature changes, you're having that barometric pressure change as well. This is signaling the tegus, you know, to slow down, to slow down their physiological activity, prep for brumation, it's time to go down. And then when they wake up, obviously that's when everything begins, you know, eating and, and breeding and stuff like that in the spring. So I would gradually decrease their temperatures indoors. Each week I would reduce it by about 5 degrees, the temperatures in their enclosure, 5 to 10 degrees, and I would also decrease their light cycle by an hour each week. I think that at the very end, they were nearly at brumating temperatures, where they would be, you know, in the 60s, 70s. And in addition to that, they would have no light for the last week or so. And they haven't eaten for at least a month, so their system was completely cleared. So once I gradually transitioned them down to this point of having no food, having way less light, and then in addition to that, having lower temperatures, just like they would outdoors, um, that's when they naturally slowed down everything, and they, they showed me that they were ready to be brumated. I would place them in totes that I would get from Home Depot. I can't remember the exact size, but they were about three feet by a foot and a half, two feet, and the height was maybe about two feet. I would put one animal per tote. I would throw tons of hay in there. The hay depended on the type of hay available that time of the year, and I went for the ones with the best insulating factors. Um, if it was a larger animal, obviously, they got a larger tote. But. So I placed them in there, and I would put them in a room that stayed in the 50s all, for several months. It would stay in the 50s from the time they went down, which was usually like around Thanksgiving time, all the way until for me, like mid-March, late March, early April, they would start waking up. I would hear them scratching at the, at the totes, and plus I'm checking on them every single week, at least once a week, to make sure that they're in good condition. Because if an animal is acting overly sluggish or something unusual is going on, I pulled them from brumation. I gradually woke them up and made sure they got proper nourishment, like food and water. But anyway, assuming everything's going to plan, they would wake, wake up in March or April. I would begin their regimen of gradually waking, gradually uh, forming them up, feeding them. They would breed, and then shortly afterwards, I would have some eggs, and then we go through the whole cycle all over again. Um, did that make sense, JD? I, I feel like I was going through that quickly. It's just like a lot to cover. So, and <laughs> that was very good, bro. Uh, you know, I I had a little bit more uh, difficult experience with hibernating tegus because you know I live on here in PA and stuff. The temperatures are way too cold, and you know they get, it gets colder and stays colder longer. So some of that some of that stuff I had to do inside, like uh, start bringing them out inside and then put them out like in May and stuff. So I mean it was a little bit crazy far as like getting them ready to breed and stuff just because of that reason because it took so long for it to warm up outside oh no that makes sense the first i, I probably should have uh 
I probably didn't really make it super clear, so which is my fault. And the, the beginning example I was giving while I was in Florida, when I pretty much did everything natural outdoors, I didn't put them in totes or anything then. For the most part, everything was done naturally, and I made modifications when you know during extremes and temperatures. The the second portion with the totes, that's actually when I was in New England, which is actually north of Pennsylvania. So it gets even colder, but when I bred them up north, they, my takers never went outside. I kept them in enclosures, even during the warm months, I kept them in enclosures indoors with proper UVB and very large enclosures, proper basking, uh, the whole nine yards. Now, that I'm in South Carolina, um, all my animals were outside um, when I first arrived here, and now the only ones that are inside are my blue takers. Um, my black and whites and my reds are outdoors with proper coverage, of course, and I basically had to do it similar to bird with way more protection. I put greenhouse plastic over the enclosure. Well, first off, the enclosures are buried. The enclosures are all buried, you know, two feet on the ground. And then um, they have hides in there, and I insulated the hides as well. And then I put um, uh, plastic sheeting over their hides. I put the carpet over their hides. I put more grass over their hides as well. And then in addition to that, the entire enclosure itself is uh, covered in a plastic. And then I have these temperature gauges that sends, you could check it from your phone, basically. So I stick them in the hides, and I could check what the temperatures are in their hides from my phone. So if the temperature goes too low or too high, I could easily see that. Um, and I'm still checking on them. I dig, I dig them up, not once a week, about twice a month. I'm digging them up to take a look at them. But so far, it's working out really well. I'm able to maintain them in the you know, 50s, 60s. Once in a blue moon on a really cold night here, it might drop to, like, very high 40s in, in their actual brumation chamber. But, um, like I said, that's usually only for, like, an hour or two. Because in South Carolina, it just, it just doesn't really get that cold. I mean, it gets colder than, like, Florida, for example, of course, because it's north of Florida. But it's, it's very practical to breed black and white and red tigers outdoors here if you make proper terraria and you make proper modifications to your terraria. Because, of course, you know, one of the best, well, the best lizard breeder to ever live, Bert Langerwerth, he actually did it in uh, Alabama. He bred black and white tegus and red tegus. And the portion of, of Alabama he was from, I believe it's called Montballo, actually was slightly cooler than where I'm at right now. So what do you think about that? Yeah, well, I, I think that's awesome. You know, and I like, I like it now with technology that you can actually check, check the temperature out there and see where exactly where the temperature is out there from outside. You know, that that is very cool tech. <laughs> That's a, that's a, that's definitely something that Bert didn't have back then. You know, he he threw everything in there. I mean, carpets. He threw hay in there. I mean, he used just about every kind of resource he had to uh, uh, protect the tegus during hibernation. But you know, a lot of people have that question about blue tegus about hibernation and stuff, and they don't truly hibernate like the Argentines do. Uh, yeah, I would say that's correct. Honestly, I've never brumated my blue tegus. I mean, I know people do in Florida, and they brumate for however many weeks. Um, the only time my tegu, my blue tegus ever brumated was when I was in Florida, like, years ago. And I only had two pairs of blue tegus at the time. But the brumation was, you know, a lot shorter because the, the period of time where it's colder is a lot shorter in Florida. Um, so I, them, I did that outside in Florida. I would pull them in when it was really cold, um, when it was basically – I don't know, 40s or less overnight. So that was a decent amount of nights per year. Um, but ever since when I moved up north, I never put them to brewmate because I spoke to Renska, and Renska never brewmated hers, and she was, you know, really successful in breeding, you know, all the tegus. And, and it makes sense, too, because where blue tegus come from 
Uh, Ron St. Pierre was the first person to acquire, not really acquire them, but the first person to propagate them in captivity. And eventually, you know, after many years, he found out that they actually more than likely originated from Brazil, which in a portion of Brazil they came from, obviously, is closer to the equator, so it's warmer. They don't really experience, you know, cool winters like the Argentines would. Um, so naturally, they don't get quite as cold, so they haven't adapted to that, that type of cycle that's that cold. So I don't brumate my blue tegus, and um, I bred some albino tegus this year. There were pure blues. Um, a bunch of you know blue tegu uh, I have that I'm raising up. I actually was taking care of the babies and looking at them a few minutes before the um, the podcast. So and I've always had good luck with my blues, and I and I don't brumate them. I haven't brumated a blue tegu in I don't know probably eight or nine years probably. No, I said that you know some reptiles have that natural thing where they slow down a little bit, you know, like uh, green iguanas and stuff like that, just by temperature. And, you know, that vermation and that hibernation, just kind of a slow down, slow down time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And an important thing to note is that um, it's it's pretty interesting. I enjoy remaining my animals outdoors because even though I have their everything covered they could come out and go back into their, their um, nesting um, chambers if they want to. And we actually had a sporadic day that was about 70 degrees the other day, um, maybe like, I don't know, two, two weeks ago. And some of the tegus actually came out, like the black and white tegus, some of them came out of their, their brumation chambers and everything, and they, they were basically sunning themselves, and they were hanging out for a bit. And then it got cool at night, they went back in, and I haven't seen them since, you know, other than checking on them, obviously. Because I do check on them, like I said, at least twice a month, so... But, yeah, no, it's nice to see, you know, animals brumate. It's really interesting. Those are some of my favorite lizards. I have a lot of lizards that brumate, like Chuck Wallace, Shinosaurus, Australian water dragons, different types of lizards that are from Europe specifically. So I really enjoy them. Well, it makes it makes keeping kind of easier when you when you can brumate the animals because it gives you a little break. It gives you a little break from feeding yeah. and stuff and care, kind of. So it kind of gives you a little, it's like break time for you now. Yeah, actually for me, what happens is it's great because I breed, you know, a good amount of snakes. A lot of people, um, you know, way back when I was I was known for breeding a good amount of snakes. And I still do keep a lot of snakes, and a lot of people uh, may not necessarily know that. And I breed, you know, a few you know, a few different species. And what happens is when my animals that brumate go down for the for the winter, um, quote unquote. Then the, what I do is um, I breed my snakes because when my tegus and my snakes are both being cared for in the spring and the summer, I'm obviously maintaining my snakes in like you know meticulous condition. But I don't breed them in the spring and the summer because naturally that's not when they breed anyway. You know most snakes at least. But then when it's cooling down and my my, my lizards go to brumate, at least my lizards that do brumate. So basically everything besides my monitor lizards here at least. Um, that's when I start breeding all my snakes. Like I actually have a bunch of snakes ovulating now, like ball pythons and Burmese pythons. And I like it because I kind of have a lizard season and a snake season. Uh, the only season that I have is that's all year is my, my monitor lizard season. Because, you know, of course, as you know, I breed the water monitors and I breed uh, some dwarf <laughs> species and stuff. So. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, and then um, yeah. I know we have some guests that are, are going to call in at some point that are going to talk about their brumation methods. And that, that's always pretty interesting because I like thinking about how different people do things because – uh, sometimes, you know, we get caught up on our own methods and then we forget that there's a lot of other methods out there that, you know, some may be quite similar and some are actually quite different. And it's always interesting to see um, how other people do things. So, Yeah, well, you know, it is cool to hear about what people do because, you know, everybody does something a little bit different. 
you know, a little bit different, or they may live in a different area where the climate's a little different, so they have to, you know, do the extra measures, you know, to protect the animals. So, uh, sorry about that. I was taking a drink at the same time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no worries. Yeah, well, I'm talking to you, so. Yeah, I know that. I said that would be kind of be a live thing that you're actually after taking care of the animal. We did that a couple times, but. Yeah, I live um, where I live. Actually, there's um, one of the natural borders I have here is um, where cargo trains go back and forth. So I'm hoping that a train doesn't go back and forth while I'm outside here. Um, but yeah, in terms of ruminating animals, I mean, they're some of the most interesting species. I really enjoy them. Uh, the blue tegus, I don't brumate, um pretty much ever. Some of them slow down. They'll definitely slow down just because of barometric pressure change. But um, a lot of them just honestly stay up all year and they just eat all year for me. And um, But I, they do breed the same time of the year, though. Like, I typically will have um, them still breed in the spring and the summer. I have some that will be interested in breeding off-season, I guess you would say, but not, not most of them. Most of them do still breed at the same time that the black and whites and the reds would. Uh, an important thing to note, too, is that um, for the most part, reds in general seem to be less tolerant of cold temperatures because naturally where they're from, they're a bit closer to the equator than most of the black and whites that we have in captivity at least right now. Um, therefore, because for, therefore, they're a bit less tolerant. Uh, for example, if I'm checking on animals in brumation, I pretty much never have an issue with a black and white tiger. Because they're, they're, they're very, very cold tolerant. As long as they're in good condition when they went in brumation, which, of course, you should always have anyway, then they're perfectly fine. Once in a blue moon, probably like once every other year or so, I'll have a red tegu that really isn't, you know, doing too well in, in brumation. I'll check on them, and they're a bit overly sluggish, or they just don't look right. When you see your animals all the time, you know what looks right and what doesn't look right. And sometimes I'll have to pull them. So when I was referring to pulling animals earlier, um, a lot of times it winds up being the red tegu. I can't even remember a case where I've actually had to pull a black and white tegu, at least in my personal experience. I'm sure other people have had to do it. Um, and I just gradually wake them up slowly, basically doing the reverse process, warming them up slowly, increasing day light cycle slowly. I make sure they have access to water immediately, though. Um, but I don't start feeding them immediately. I don't start feeding them until their metabolism is up and running a bit more and their activity levels increased. And um, and that's pretty much it. I don't, I don't do too much hybrid work at, at my farm. I know there's a lot of people that do designer tegus. Like, I know Carlos makes awesome tegus, um, and, and some of them are hybrids. And um, there's a lot of people that are producing a lot of really nice animals. So I was always interested in seeing, you know, how they fare. Like I have purple tegus, which are mixed with blue and red. Um, and I do have some hybrids, and but, but but not too many. Of the animals I have here, I would say that, I don't know, 80% of them are, are pure, you know, for their corresponding species or locale. So what are your thoughts on that? Because I know you have hybrid tegus now, I believe, correct? Yeah, I, I do have a hybrid tegu. Actually, I think it's part uh, red, blue, and you know when they put put the red tegus in there years ago, I had a a blue and red cross, and uh, that that animal was totally different than some, a lot of these other animals uh, that I see with the same cross and stuff. It had uh, the thicker banding on it, and uh, I, you oh, know yeah. I can buy a picture yeah, there. Uh, yeah, if I can find a picture or something, I'll share that that picture and stuff. But that thing was, uh, you know, it's with how they're doing the hybrids and stuff like that. You know, the tegus are definitely, 
definitely on the mark for the new morphs and all that stuff. So it's pretty cool. And I think Bert, I think Bert would be kind of impressed by that if he was still around because, you know, he just had the regular black and whites and the reds. And then he, then he started working with the hybrid red, you know, the hybrids between there. But, uh, yeah, I think he'd be impressed by it by now. Oh, definitely. I'm super impressed whenever I see all the uh, the cool hybrids that are out right now. I mean, the ones that impress me, well, some of the ones that impress me the most are actually the ones that Carlos makes. He's like, he has a really good eye for things like that. But there's a lot of good take breeders that are bringing a lot of interesting things. Um, I mean, the only reason I don't do majority of um, hybrids is because, you know, my focus is um, the pures. But I do think it's it's very nice. I think they make some amazing animals. But it would be interesting to hear about the people that do brewmate them. I'm assuming in Florida, you know, they brewmate them all the same regardless because that's what I did when I was there. But if there's people outside of Florida breeding hybrids and how they go how they go about it. Um, I haven't noticed a huge difference. But the thing is, most of my hybrids don't have, um, they don't have, you know, a, quite a, a strong mixture like some of these other ones will have, so. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think you know that is just in its infancy and stuff like that. What what is going to come out of the the take you for part of more? So you know, there's it's a little bit crazy. You know, some people have a problem with crossing different species with other species, but you know, when it's in captivity and stuff, it's kind of a you either have to accept the hybrids or you don't accept it. You know. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's a, a personal choice. I mean, as long as people are taking good care of their animals and when they do produce, you know, hybrids or anything like that, that they're presenting them accurately as what they are and not what, not what they're not, then um, I'm perfectly fine with that personally. But, you know, I respect everyone's opinion. So. You know, uh, like some of your information and stuff you said about the boxes and stuff, is there like a certain like a temperature that you set when you put them in hibernation that you put them in, like, is it like 60, 60 degrees or like 50? Like I heard some people putting them out at 50 degrees for black and whites. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I put them in the fifties. I keep the room. I mean, it, it alters somewhat, but I set the thermostat and then um, I, it usually is in the fifties. The reason I do it in the fifties is even though reds, seem to prefer it a bit warmer than that, I try to choose like an intermediate temperature. Because my black and whites, they seem to do well in the 50s remaining. And then my reds tend to do well like in the low 60s, around 60 degrees. So I usually choose and put my thermostat around like 54. Um, and it'll fluctuate like a degree or two in the room. But the thing is, is where they're actually in, in those, those totes where all that hay, they actually stay warmer in there. That's another thing to consider. Because when I actually temp gun where they actually are, it's many degrees warmer. That's another reason why I go a bit lower than 60 because where they're going to be in the actual totes is going to be warmer. And I think sometimes um, people don't take that into consideration. So in the past, in New England, when I bred them indoors, um, that's what I would do. I'll probably put them, eh, like like I said, low 50s, I would put the thermostat. And, um, but most of them in their actual totes themselves would be experiencing actual temperatures warmer. So that's what I do there. And that's the same thing I shoot for outdoors. And so far, it's gone really, really well. I was um, because I haven't bred them outdoors in cooler climates than Florida ever. Um, but you know, obviously, I studied a lot what Brent Langworth did and the videos that he put up and the, the Timo, his uh, his son put up. I watched them over and over and over. Um, so, and I did a lot of research, and I was you know meticulously. I watched them over and over and over, and I monitored them, and they're doing really, really well. I actually like the way they look way better being outdoors than when they were in totes. Um, they, they did fine either way. I've never really lost an animal for brumation. Um, 
but I don't know. I just feel like they're faring better. They look better. So. All right. So, well, tegus, you know, tegus are very uh, tough animals. They're hardy. You know, they can they can put up with the, the they eat anything. So, and they can take the cold temperatures a little bit better than most other species. You know, especially the Argentine. And, uh, you know, people, you know, some people, when it comes to Burmation, you know, especially this time of year, and it's their first tegu and stuff, they get all bummed out because their, tag, their tegu starts slowing down, and they're always asking, you know, what they can keep them up or if they can, or what they should do. So <laughs> this is, this show is very important for that right now, bro, because this is the season, you know, and the You'll hear all these people go, "Oh, my take you, my take you stays in the tide all the time," you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think that's a really good point because um, years ago when I first started dealing with tegus, I uh, I would have the same thing where I would even keep their enclosure warm. I mean, the ambient would probably get a little bit cooler, but since I had them in a dedicated reptile room, it wouldn't get much cooler. And um, basically, they, some of them would go down just because of barometric pressure change. So they're, they're really in tune with these, you know, these fluctuations in barometric pressure and temperature and daylight cycles. So um, they, they really tune into these things. So sometimes, you know, not even sometimes, all the time, you just have to listen to your animal. If your animal, you know, is going to go into brumation, you just have to, you know, realize what's going on. And I think sometimes people worry a bit, but if you're doing everything properly in terms of husbandry, then you should be all set. Um I mean, there's some dangers with brumation. I see how people will try to brumate their animals, and they choose, like, an intermediate temperature. And in my personal opinion, that's really um, not really a safe route. So, for example, some people will brumate their animals, and they'll brumate them at a temperature where it's not quite their regular ambient temps and their regular basking temps, but it's not quite brumation temps either. They'll keep them, like, perpetually in a reptile room that's, like, in the 70s. So, I mean, the thing is that it's – Difficult, especially if you have certain, you know, certain species of tegus, certain locales of tegus, for them to fully go into brumation, but they're also not basking either. So they're kind of like in this, this standstill. And um, I think that's, in my opinion, a lot tougher on them physiologically. I think it's better to either, you know, keep them at their regular conditions if you want to try, try your best to keep them up, if they, assuming that's what you want to do, or to just put them on the brumation temperatures. I think choosing that intermediate temperature is actually, you know, quite damaging. Um, I've heard of people doing that, and their tegus are obviously going to lose weight because they have a decent amount of metabolic activity if they're in the 70s and 80s. Um, and you really should, if you're going to brumate your animals, you just need to do it the right way. You need to choose, you know, lower temperatures that are still safe for the animal, and you need to make sure that you check on your animals regularly and go through the process that we went over, and then hopefully uh, we'll hear from other people talking about how they go about it, but I think that's the best way to do it. What do you think, J.D.? I think that is a good idea, you know, and people, you know, if you follow, follow them guidelines and stuff like that, your tegu will come back in a couple months and you'll have your tegu to play with and stuff. So, you know, you just have to, yeah, if you're interested in breeding, definitely, yeah, the harbor, you know, Burmation is the important part of the kind of breeding of tegus. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, some people like, uh, like Bert, for example, I don't I'm sure you've read this or even heard it from him directly. He would say that he felt like um, that animals that weren't brumated early in their life, you know, had a very low likelihood of actually producing in the future. So say, for example, if they weren't brumated, you know, when they, when they were a year, two, three years old, that um, they would have issues brumating, uh, breeding in the future. I don't know if that's necessarily true because I've never really experimented with that, so I really can't speak, 
you know, intelligently on whether or not that wound up being the case. But um, it's food for thought, though, that, you know, the best lizard breeder said that, you know, the, the likelihood of the animal breeding successfully is lower if not brumated early in life. So um, nowadays I brumate pretty much all my tegus um, that are not blue tegus, even if they're young, because usually by the time um, brumation comes around, even my babies have really good size to them and are really solid, um, so they can brumate perfectly fine. In the past, I would keep the babies up if I could, and unless they were telling me they basically wanted to get brumated by their activity levels. Um, and they were experiencing, you know, a bit of a cool down, but not nearly as strong as the adults. But now, since most of my babies have really solid size by the time brumation comes around, I typically would just brumate all of them. Like right now, my young ones are brumating just like the adults are. And uh, it's working out perfectly fine for me. I check on them. Uh, the babies I check on more frequently than the adults are the babies I check on every single week. And they look awesome. They look, they look perfect. And then in a couple months here, um, it'll start warming up a bit. And then I'll uh, be able to enjoy them again when they're awake. Yeah, I always liked it when the tiggies came out of hibernation and stuff. They were like, you know, first first they want food when they start warming up. But after that, then they're like, hey, I haven't seen you for seven, five months. You know, so they get, kind of look like little puppies that they got excited, you know. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's definitely uh, pretty interesting for sure. And um, mm-hmm. I can't imagine waiting as long as, as you can go because you said they don't wake up for you until, like, May or something, right? Yeah, well, I, if I did wake them up before that, I would have to start that indoors, start the wake-up thing, and I would not be able to put them out to like, May because, I, I mean, I lost a turtle that I had out early in, in the ponds and stuff that the temperature, temperature still up to, like, mid-May was still could get frost. Mm. Gotcha. So I mean, I mean the weather's changing, changing a little bit up here now and stuff like that. It don't seem so brutal. I mean, look at the snow down in North Carolina right now. And, yeah, uh, no, I've yeah, but really. Like, like, no, go ahead, JD. Oh, I, I was like, they got so much snow. I said, but you know, in, in that area, you know, probably within. Next couple of days, you'll probably get up into the 80s and stuff. So I think, it, you know, that snow will be gone pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, no, I saw that. That's um, They're only, um, I think, like two or three hours north of me. And um, they have a decent amount of snow now. I mean, for me, I have rain right now, but nothing even close to snow, not even uh, not even frost right now on the grass or anything. So, so hopefully it's not like right, that because that will be working well. I think we were just joined by uh, Laura Roberts, so I'll bring her on. Hi, Laura. Hey, Tegu Files. How's it going? I'm oh, doing really good, good Laura. How are you? Uh, hey, Laura, we were kind of talking about uh, Burmation and stuff. Uh, I don't know if you want to share a little bit about what you do with your animals for Burmation. You know, I'm kind of... Um, low maintenance I guess with when it comes to brumation and I'm sorry I just got home and my bird is happy to see me so he will chirp the whole time I talk (laughs) but um, I have a tendency to just leave mine that are outside my adults I leave them outside 
until the temperatures get down to about 34. Uh, then I get a little nervous and I bring them inside. But when they're outside, we take um, coastal Bermuda hay or Timothy hay, and all the tegus have a hide box where they go in and the dirt is thick enough where they can make a little burrow sort of underneath it, a little um, indentation. And that stays pretty warm. And then we insulate it with hay on top of the hide box and inside of the hide box. And they take that and they kind of um, pat the door shut like tegus do. And we've gone out with the temp gun. And usually that setup is 10 to 20 degrees warmer than the air outside. So we feel pretty comfortable with that setup. Uh, Laura, question for you. Um, have you noticed a difference with your um, different types of tegus? I, I know that you deal with, um, you know, black and whites and reds. I'm not sure if you deal with blues. I, I believe you have an albino blue, correct? Or I, I have a couple, yes. Okay. So are you going about it differently for the different types, or is it, for the most part, pretty standardized? Or it's um, for the black and the reds. It's standardized, and you are correct. When it comes to the blues and especially the albinos, I do have a tendency to pamper them a bit more. And my husband and I were talking about that. Uh, last time, I think the lowest we got in the last cold front was about, oh gosh, I want to say 38 degrees, and we left them outside and they were fine. Um, the adult albino pure blue that I have, he was fine, and my blues were okay as well. Um, but we went ahead and brought in, we have a young, almost two, um, red and blue hybrid albino, and we brought him inside just because he was a bit smaller and we were a little worried about him. But um, if the temperature dropped much below that 40, 38, I'd go ahead and bring them in, too. We've been worrying about that because tonight I think it's supposed to get to 39. Gotcha. That, that makes sense. And for your, for your animals that hatched out in the, um, like this summer, for example, are, um, are you permitting those outdoors? So I think um, previously I think you said something about like a covered patio area, but I'm not sure if they're there in the winter as well so um for my uh hatchlings that hatched out this year i have them inside in some form um a lot of them that are larger are on the front porch area we call it like the porch of the reptile room and it's a wooden room that's completely sealed in with windows and we close all the windows and they have um hay and something that they can bury in as well, a hide box, something. But we also um, have heat supplied to them as well. So if the temperature gets below 50 degrees at night, then we have ceramic heat emitters that we give to them. And then my very small tegus stay indoors. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, J.D., do you have questions for Laura about permission? Uh, I was going to say, Laura, you know, from being around Tegu for many, many years and stuff, we have always heard, oh, my Tegu's going to burn me. I won't see it for the next couple months and stuff, you know. People really panic about this topic. <laughs> yes, they do. Um, and, you know, it's it's understandable because it's risky. Your Tegu is going into more than just a sleep, you know. It's a, a real... Um, deep metabolic change that they go through, uh, almost like a stupor when they're really down below. And it is sort of scary to see them like that. And it is a time to panic because they're not in their regular um, or a time to seem like it's panicking um, because they're not in their regular routine. But, you know, they've been doing this uh, for many, many, many years, and they know what they're doing. And I always tell people to let the tegu listen to its body 
unless something seems medically wrong and it needs to be seen by a vet. Usually if you just let them go down and turn the lights off um, and keep them relatively warm if they're babies, then they do fine. Uh, yeah, and that's good advice for all the pigu files, you know, just that's something that people, that seems like a big topic, and uh, I think we actually covered it pretty good during the discussion. Good. Yeah. Uh, uh, we didn't, I, I kind of had to apologize to you guys because I kind of was planning it, but I didn't know exactly it once, so I'm glad that you guys <laughs> could come on. <laughs> well, I'm sorry I was a little bit late. Um, I teach class on Monday morning, so I kind of had to um, wait till I got home where I could dial in. Yeah. And I'm sorry if you guys have noise, heard noise in the background. I'm in the room where I have a bunch of quail right now, and they're chirping away, but hopefully you guys can't hear it that much. So. <laughs> oh, between my cockatiel and your quail, it'll be great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. But, uh, yeah, we uh, Carl said he was going to try to call in, but uh, – no, it's kind of everybody's kind of busy on a Monday too, so I apologize, but I'm I'm very happy to do this and uh, hope to do like a roundtable discussion probably once a month if you guys are with that. Oh, I would guys love to do that. In. So uh, you know, I think we covered this episode pretty good, uh, cool. and I, I'm sure it will help a lot of people. Well, good because that's awesome, what it's about awesome. is helping people with their tegus, you know. Awesome. I actually had a and question I, for I Laura did. as well. I don't know if you were wrapping up, JD, but I had a quick question for if that's okay. No, no I'm a, go ahead, brother. Okay. Um, well, I wanted to hear your thoughts on um, because I would hear situations in the past where some people would not put their their tegus quite to brumation temperatures, but then not have them at normal husbandry, you know, basking temps, and ha- kind of have them in that intermediate zone. And I was never a big fan of of that because physiologically, I think it's just taxing on them. Um, but it's nice to hear about other breeders, what, what they think, and what they think is, the, you know, the best way to go about it, either to roommate them or, or what. Does that make sense, the question I have? Yes, it does make sense. I understand what you're saying. Um, I think what you're saying is um, basically tegus that are going down for brumation, but they're at uh, warm temperatures, and it still keeps their metabolism physically up, even though they're still in a sleep. Exactly. Um, and it burns off extra reserves, and those reserves are – designed the body's designed with those reserves in mind to sustain them through a brumation period and when they get burned off early because the temperatures are warmer then you have a suboptimal environment and you worry about your tegu losing weight we have to worry about that in florida because up like saturday it was 80 degrees and i have some that are already down and then today, I think the high is 61. So at this time of year, our weather fluctuates a lot. And so I have to keep a check on them all the time to make sure that um, when they're down and they come back up, um, I can check and make sure that they have excess tail um, reserves and things like that and make sure that they're not losing weight. Ideally, I would love to put them in a cool place and have the temperature stable, but I just don't have a setup that I can keep them stable like that. No, that, that completely makes sense because um, I remember in the past people would ask me that and they would say, well, I'm nervous about bruminating them, so I'll keep so them So I'll just like keep them a little cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah no, I just say put them down. But, yeah, exactly. That's the same thing I tell people. I'm like, I know they have great intentions and that's wonderful, but it's actually, you know, in my opinion, a bit detrimental because they're, they're still having that metabolic activity, but they're exactly. acting like they're in brumation. And then you're going to have a skinny tayu 
um, you know, in a very short period of time, and then it's just going to be very stressful on their body. It's better just to either brumate them or, or not brumate them, not to do the intermediate, Correct. you know, zone. So. Correct. And a secondary concern, I mean, the primary concern is the life of the tegu, but also in the second um, concern, if you're breeding and your tegu is losing too much weight over the winter, then they don't have the reserves for proper reproductive cell production in the spring as well. Um, so that is something else that happens. Yeah, I got you. That completely makes sense. So another topic that I had a, a quick question on is, and have you ever had to pull a tegu because you were concerned about condition, like it was acting a bit too lethargic or even though the other ones, they, they had, you know, good fat reserves and one was losing weight. Um, how, do, how do you go about that process? Because I know in the past I've never had to pull a black and white, but I have had to pull my reds on occasion um, that just weren't faring well. I probably wanted to pull in like one red every other year, but you know, I'm in a totally different climate with a totally different setup. So Right. I have pulled them out before, and I can't think of um, – it's been a few years, so I can't think exactly what type it was, and I think it was a red. They just the tail was getting way too thin, and I was just very uncomfortable about um, that setup. And what I did was I brought them inside, and they started to come about on their own. Just with I don't know if it was the sudden change in temperature or what happened, but they it was towards the end of brumation anyway. So they started to wake up, and I was able to resume feeding them. They never did go back down again, and that was the only time I've ever had to pull one up. Yeah, no, it sounds very similar to the experience that I had actually. That it was close to the end of brumation, and it was for me in the case it was red. And I think it happened like two or three times, and it didn't happen every year. Like maybe like every other year. And I would do the same thing. It was so close to the end of probation that it actually didn't wind up, you know, being detrimental or anything like that. So they just stayed right. up and they just basically right. wound up waking up earlier than the rest. But then they went on and everything was, you know, business as usual, pretty normal, actually. Yeah, I usually, like in this case, it was a small female and I was concerned about her reserves before she went down. So I was already checking on her and keeping an eye on her. With the others, I trust the process pretty much and I let them go, but I still check through the pens every day to see if anybody's up. Because sometimes they come up and bask for a little bit or get water and then they go back down again. They kind of do a light brumation here. Um, so I still go through and check everybody every day to see if um, anything's out of ordinary. Gotcha. And if you don't see yours for a few weeks, do you ever dig them up or you pretty much just leave them be since the process works and it's worked for a long time so there's no real, no real need to like dig them up and actually look at them? Assuming that you aren't really um, had a precautionary uh, eye on them prior. Like, say, for example, sure. if you weren't worried about them prior to brumation, do you just kind of just leave them alone because you're confident they're fine? Or Yeah, I just leave them alone. And like I said, I've already checked their condition before they go down, so I know what condition every one of them is in. So I trust the process and just let them be. And um, I've only lost one during brumation, and it was years and years ago, and we found out that we had a gas leak in our garage. So unfortunately... I think he succumbed to the gas leak. It was not the brumation process itself because he was in good condition and um, there was no other reason to think that he passed from anything else. Um, no, that, that completely makes sense. Um, all righty. J.D., do you have follow-up questions on that? No, I think it's very interesting and stuff. And uh, the Tegu Files, Laura, as that's an awesome group. I wanted to, say, you know, verbally say that to you guys. You did an awesome job. Oh, I'm very you. proud. And uh, 
And I it kind of yeah, made me think about the past and stuff, about how I started out with Herpentine. You know, we started out with Higgy yep. Files Radio. And, and I would like to keep doing this uh, on a monthly basis. And actually, I just got a message from Carlos. And he's trying to call in, but I don't see him on the studio here. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you got the right number. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, sometimes sometimes this thing don't show up and you don't see the number. So it gets, it gets kind of uh, frustrating sometimes. But anyway, uh, I was figuring we could do different topics. So, you know, this one was an important one. So the next one yeah. will be, you know, the kind of like the waking up and sure. I guess we can call it the new beginning. I think that's a great topic. Yeah. While we're waiting for Carlos, maybe we could um, give him a few more minutes if he's able to get that sorted out. Um, the question I have, Laura, I remember you were telling me about a gentleman that I believe he's over in the panhandle of Florida where it gets a bit cooler, and you spoke to him at a, um, a reptile show, maybe it was Daytona, um, and he was talking about how he breeds his animals there. Mm-hmm. I was curious. I mean, I know you talked briefly about his setup previously, and I'm not sure how much he really informed you about it. But um, was he breeding different, like reds, for example, and, and ones that are a bit less tolerant to the cold, or did he not? Did you guys not really go into the details? I'm always interested to hear how different people do it, you know, in cold climates as well—not cold, but colder climates than like Central sure. or South Florida. So. Yeah, um, that was a really interesting guy. I wish I could remember his name, but it just kind of eludes me right now. But he was breeding. I think he did say he had some reds, but mostly black and whites, and he kept them all communally. And it wasn't until he started, and he just let them um, burrow kind of the way that I hear Bert used to set up his tegus. And this gentleman learned a lot from Bert. He was a friend of Bert's. And what Bert used to do is have like a mound of dirt and then have literally piles of those square carpets, uh, like remnants. And he would put that on there, and the tegus would all burrow into this hill. And in the center of the hill, it was really warm, but I don't know exactly how warm, but warm enough to sustain them in those temperatures up there. And then he said he would just leave them alone, and then they would come out in the spring, and he just let them dictate everything on their own. Then once he got into monitors, he had to build a house for the monitors with a, a heat source, and he built the same one for his tegus, and he had hay in there, and I think he had heating pads. I don't think he had um, like a bulb or anything in it. And it had a little pet door, and the tegus would go in and out as they pleased. And some of them would go in, and they would sleep in the house, and some of them would continue to sleep in the hill. It was kind of an interesting setup. Yeah, no, it's definitely interesting to hear that. I'm actually um, I'm breeding my tegus outdoors again uh, for the first time in many years because I was in New England where it wasn't possible. So, um, and then we had a warm day here, not as quite as warm as Florida, but I, I believe you said you had like 80, 82. We had a 70 degree day here. And then mm-hmm. I saw, you know, some of the black and whites, they're just coming out and I'm not used to that. I'm not used to having tegus that are brewmating that are just coming. Cause I haven't seen that in many years since I lived in Florida about eight or nine years ago. And right. um, because I brewmated them in totes, but yeah, it was a warm day and my reds all stayed under, but you know, a couple of black and whites came out and, you know, they looked great. So it's interesting to see because sometimes we don't take that under consideration uh, because even some of the local reptiles here that I have, uh, like some of the anoles, and I saw a black racer the other day, on these on these warm days, on occasion, certain animals will come out briefly. Yep. Um, so that's something that I think, at least to me, sometimes I forget, that animals do sometimes have, you know, a certain level of activity, even during the brumation season, so to speak. So. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, we had that same situation where it was, I didn't have any reds up, but I had a couple of black and whites, and I had, um, I'm trying to think, of a blue female. And we're probably going to pull her in for tonight because she, she just keeps coming up and down and up and down, and I'm just not confident that she's really down. So I don't want to leave her outside um, if she's not sufficiently warm. So we'll probably bring her in tonight, I think. But other than that, um, for the most part, I don't see them. Just on really warm days, like I said, we do get up to 80 degrees, and they'll kind of pop up and get a drink of water, and then they go right back down again. No, that, that's great. And uh, do you um, – I think you did mention it. Do you deal with hybrids? Because I'm, I was always wondering, depending on the cross of the hybrid and the percentage, I mean, how do they act in brumation? Is it what you would expect, where if they're mostly blue, then they're not going to be as cold tolerant or so on and so forth, or – or what the results yeah. were. I mean, it probably just depends on the yeah. hybrid and the individual, I'm assuming. It kind of depends because, like, my black and um, black-white-red hybrids, I treat them um, mostly like a black and white, and they do fine with that treatment as far as consideration for brumation and things like that. And then for my blue and red hybrids, I have a tendency to baby them a little bit more, leaning towards the blue because I always want to err on the side of caution. So I don't want to assume they're more like the reds and uh, have them get too cold. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. a lot of times I just kind of pick what seems to be the predominant cushion. <laughs> no, that completely makes sense. Better be safe than sorry. So, but it's interesting to see. It's, it's interesting when you work with a with a type of animal that has you know several different species and several different locales, and to see the differences you know amongst them. So that's always right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. JD, does it look like Carlos was able to have luck and uh, get in there, or not quite yet? He said that he had an uh, emergency paramedic thing. You know, Carlos is a paramedic and stuff, so Correct. he had to run out. But he said that he goes, I will make it the next time. So, I mean, basically, we're setting up to show that anybody can come on if you want. If you can't come on, then we'll, you know, we'll just have the, you know, some somebody on here. <laughs> <laughs> We'll pull in somebody. Um, I wanted to ask if the show was recorded. If somebody can't listen this morning because of work commitment or something, are they able to listen in the evening? Yes, they are. I, I was going to go with a different flat, uh, platform and doing the show, but I decided to stay on HDR. You know, so yeah. it's basically on the HDR site, you know, for blog talk, and I am going to do it just as a show on there. Okay. Uh, just like Liz, just like Lizard Hour and stuff. So it will be there will be a link, and I will get it up to everybody so they can listen. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. And then we can just share it on the. Well, you probably already do share it on the the, the Tegufa Facebook page. I'm assuming, right, Jody? Oh yeah, yeah. I share it on there on the awesome. Lizard Hour and the HTR thing. So, you know, and it will probably cool. be picked up by the Reptile Report again. So. But, uh, cool. yeah, the shows will be shared, so it'll be really awesome to get everybody together. And we may actually set it up to take more callers and stuff, but, uh, you know, HDR hasn't been having so much luck with that because we've been getting a lot of prank callers lately. So. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's perfect like this to have, a, you know, uh, to have a few callers and then to have a designated topic, to have brumation. Then you said the next show you're going to have when, um, when animals away from brumation. So I think that's awesome. So I think that that's a perfect format. So so good work on that, J.D. I'm looking forward to the next one. 
Awesome. Uh, yeah, check everybody. Check out the Take You uh, Files uh, Facebook group, and uh, you know we'll put shows on there and stuff. And uh, if anybody's interested in a topic, just put it on there. Let Laura know or Sarah know or one of them know. Uh, so uh, thank you, thank you guys for joining on the show, and uh, we'll be back in probably about another month. Well, thanks awesome. for having thanks me, so and I wish you guys a Merry Christmas and Happy Holiday. Thank you very much, Lori. Merry Christmas. Gosh, gosh. That was was a great show, my brother. That was a great show, brother. Uh, You know, I was trying, you know, when it's difficult that we have. I mean, we could have you, every, anybody on here, but I just wanted the certain people and stuff. You know, Ron St. Pierre is one of them, but he's on his little break yeah. now. So. Yeah, no, it's, it's but, pretty good. Uh, it's interesting because usually, usually um, when I'm doing Lizard Hour, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, settled down for the evening because it's dark outside. So I'm sitting down talking to you guys. And right now, the whole time, I, I, I feel bad if people could hear, but I'm going through and I'm grabbing, like, feeders for my animals and um I'm opening enclosures and checking everybody, just doing my, my chores pretty much because, uh, uh, you know, I work on the farm, you know, pretty much every single day. So it was, it was a different experience, but it's, it's interesting to have it at this time. And I think it's good to have it once a month and talk about different uh, topics that interest people. And it's good that they have it so they could kind of uh, reference to it in the future. So I'm looking forward to the next one. And, and Laura always has a lot of really cool information and she's very knowledgeable and, uh, you know, pleasant to speak to on the podcast. So that's great. Yeah, she's very cool. I mean, I knew her for years since back on the Tegu uh, forum thing it was years ago that I met her and stuff. So it's very cool to I'll talk about the the, the goos again. So uh, we will be back. We'll get stuff together for next month. And, you know, it ain't the first time that people were doing something on the show because usually I was out field herping during HDR. And, you know, oh, yeah. uh, Dustin has... Justin has done the snake thing, you know, with the when he was out in the hatching time looking at the snakes in his his uh, collection. So I mean, it's always very cool, and we're actually the only show that has ever done anything like that. Yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I was checking my animals, and then I saw like a Varanus, um, a Philippine water monitor Varanus coming eye that looks like she's grabbing. So I'm gonna grab her and ultrasound her, and uh, I was checking on the Lacertas and and stuff like that. So. Yeah, that's always interesting. Well, brother, uh, we'll be back uh, tomorrow night. We got a cool show with uh, Ty Randall about, you know, he worked with different species of chameleons and stuff. And uh, actually, my wife saw that show, bro, and she's like, and she's like, oh, that's what you should get, chameleons. Well, I don't know about that. (laughs) And we're not going to get into that. But uh, we'll see everybody tomorrow night uh, at 7 p.m., so tune in to us and uh, learn about chameleon. All right, have a good one, brother.